Isn't it amazing how the Lord loves us so much? Even when we don't deserve it, even when we're unfaithful, I was reading Hosea this past week and just thinking of how God used him to show us how much he loves us, even in our unfaithfulness. I mean, to think that the Lord is so, so kind and generous. Not to say that he's not a just God. He is a just God. But I don't know about you, but the chances that he gave me have been more than, more than he should, more than I deserve. But I'm so thankful that he loves me. A few weeks ago, I preached on authentic Christianity. And, and I believe that we should live an authentic Christian life. Amen? We should be real. We shouldn't carry our mask around with us and try to cover things up. We should just be open and honest. Because it is, it is through the open and honest walk of living out our faith in front of others in the world that they see that we are dependent on Christ Jesus. They see how much we need Jesus. And, and when they recognize that we're not hypocritical because it's that mask that we put on that we act like nothing's wrong and they, how many know that they know things are going on? It's then that they look and say, man, there's just a bunch of hypocrites. But when we say, you know what, man, it's, it's not a good day. Or we can say, you know what, it's not going well. But thank God, I can trust in him and I know that he's faithful to walk with me through it all. I know that he's walking with me and I can, I can live this life because he abides with me and I abide in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. But you know, we used to go shopping there was a place in Anderson, South Carolina. It was, the, it was the largest flea market this side of the Mississippi. It was massive. Over 100 acres of, of just vendors. And, and, and we would go and we would spend the day just shopping through. That was our Saturdays, you know. I've purchased a dog at that place. I've purchased all kinds of goodies at that place. Matter of fact, the dog I bought from there was named Jock. I named him after the jockey lot. <laughs> but you know, there was some things you could go through there. You could find anything <laughs> that you wanted. And, and I remember one time I was like, this place had these Rolex watches. I'm thinking, Rolex, come on. I don't know how in the world this Rolex is $25. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And I thought I was going to be cool. I bought me a Rolex watch. I was flashy. Come on. You know what I'm saying? And I was telling a friend of mine, man, look at my Rolex watch, dude. He said, that ain't no Rolex. I said, I said, bro, it's got Rolex written on the inside of it. It's got to be a Rolex. It looks good. Looks like a Rolex. Shiny like a Rolex, right? 
Look, I didn't, you look, look, I am a poor redneck from South Carolina. I don't know the difference between the real and the not real. When it says it, I'm like, well, it says it. See, a Rolex has this hand that just kind of sweeps around, right? And a Timex has a little tink, 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 tink. I had the chink, 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 chink kind. It's a Folex. Yeah. It was an imitation. My mom used to go to Korea. They went over to the serviceman center to, to visit and do ministry at the serviceman center in Korea. And my mom and dad would go. They went several times. And uh, my mom got down into Itaewon and, and found shopping heaven. And for years, I had Fikes. It wasn't Nikes. Fake Nikes. She would ship boxes of members only. Tony's not here, but Tony wears his members only every once in a while. And I'm thinking, I know all about them. I had one of every color. Yeah, members only. Had a little thing hanging around, flapping around, you know what I'm saying? They were fake members only. The thing is, is that we, we enjoyed them. Nobody could tell the difference unless you knew exactly what was going on here, you know what I'm saying? Imitations. And a lot of times we look at imitations the wrong way. I mean, look, some of you women, y'all purse people, right? Y'all got your, I don't even know the names, Christian Dior, is that a name brand? Y'all got your, y'all got your name brand, um, y'all got your Fuchis <laughs> instead, of, instead of your Gucci's. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a name brand anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but you got your all, you know, your big purdy. Somebody, I heard, I heard somebody say true story. <laughs> yeah, I got your big purses. Look, we just ordinary people around here, right? We can't afford them two thousand dollar purses. We want the, we want the fifty dollar brand. <laughs> want the, we want the, we want the Walmart looking, you know, that may last two weeks. But anyway, any. Imitation. But you know, I mean, imitations is it's a struggle because, you know, they, there's a lot of illegalities going on there. But there's a place where imitation is actually a good thing. This, this week, this past Friday, two days ago, I, I actually got the pleasure of going down to visit my dad. His 85th birthday was yesterday, and um, uh, we got to surprise him on his birthday. He didn't know that my mom had put together a surprise birthday party, and I called him Friday morning like nothing, like nothing, just, you know, no big deal. Hey, happy birthday. Hope you have a good weekend. I'm waiting on you to come up and see me sometime. I, I, I called my mom and dad 
about every day. Now, I know that might sound silly because I'm 48 years old. But, man, I love them two people because they put up with me. <laughs> so I snuck down, and, and um, he didn't know, have any clue that we was going to be there. And, and we got there a few minutes after him. He's walking around like, you know, in a daze, like, all my kids are here and grandkids and all these people. And I, I walk in the door, and his eyes just got big. He says, how'd you get here? He said, I just talked to you. Wasn't you just at home? I said, I was in the car. <laughs> but you know, I think of my dad, and man, I am super, super blessed with an amazing dad. And, and, and though he's my stepfather, and, and, and I've, he's been around since I was two and a half years old, he's dad. And, and man, this guy is such a servant. I mean, this, I've just watched how he has served his whole life. I mean, he's 85 years old, and he's still on the Crime Stoppers board. He's still the visitation pastor for my brother. He, he still teaches a Sunday school class. He still comes to the church once a week to clean the church with my mom. I mean, this guy is a servant. And, and, and I'm thankful. He's always been a giver. I'm thankful that he taught me at a young age. I got my first job at, at, at 13 years old. And, you know, he taught me about tithing. He taught me about giving. And, and, and one thing he taught me, because he was also a, a lender and a giver. He would, somebody would say, man, can I borrow your truck or can I borrow this? And yeah, go ahead and take it. And he taught me, he says, always bring something back better than you got it. All these principles of life that he taught me, and if there's anyone on this earth that I would love to imitate, it would be my dad. And I felt like if, if I'm imitating him, it would be a good thing. I mean, because what a phenomenal man this guy is. What a phenomenal father. When they asked me, I had the privilege, and I'm not the only preacher in my family, so for me, I'm the young, I'm the young kid, so I don't normally get to pray when my family gets together. It's my older brother, that old guy. He's the old preacher, so he prays. But this time, I got to pray, and, and, and I just it was overwhelmed to think as I was praying, thankful for all of the values that he instilled in us as kids, to think that all of his kids are, are in church, all of his kids are doing well, and, and what a blessing to be a part of that. Isn't that awesome? I mean, because, look, there's some bad imitations, but there's some good imitations. Amen? If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 1 as well. It says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's good stuff, ain't it? I mean, when the Lord gave us the Great Commission, He told us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. And here, here's the Apostle Paul. He's, he's talking to Timothy. He's, 
he is discipling, he's training, he's still pouring into and investing into Timothy. And this is the second letter that he's written. And Timothy's in, in, in Ephesus, and he's in um, the, uh, I guess, the Asia Minor area. And, and, and he's wanting him to understand that, that, that attacks are coming, that hardship's going to be happening. And, and he un- needed to understand that the only way that you're going to be able to impact the world is if you pour into somebody else like I poured into you. He said, you can have evangelistic outreaches, but the best thing that I can tell you to do, the words that I can give you, the best wisdom that, that I can share with you is to entrust to other people what I've entrusted to you. Entrust to people who you feel confident is also able to do the same, who's also willing to go out and tell somebody else what you have invested in them. Amen? Amen. Now, you have to realize that it's risky to invest in someone. It's risky to take time to disciple someone. I've heard people say, well, I've tried to disciple this one. I've tried to disciple that one. And they just just don't spend time. They just don't, they're not, they're not willing to, to be patient enough to learn. Look, there's, it's, it's, discipleship is very calculated. Discipleship is very intentional. I mean, you just can't go and just pick any old person to disciple because not everyone is willing, not everyone is, is available, whether it be emotionally, spiritually, mentally available to be discipled. I know that over the years I have tried to invest in some folks and, and, and even place them into position because of the potential they have. And because I've done that, I've hurt myself and others. Because I've trusted them with something that they are not ready to handle. They were too much of a novice to be able to receive the truth and the direction and the wisdom that I was trying to impart to them. Amen. I mean, even the Apostle Paul to the letter to Philemon, just the next letter, he's, he's telling them that, hey, look, guys, there's some who have departed from me. He talks about Demas as one who has, who has left him, who has turned uh, to, to the pleasures of the world, to the things of the world. If someone's not ready, if someone is not willing to submit themselves to training and to teaching and to, and to really getting close to God, then, then you can pressure them to a place where, where they just fly the coop, right? If you look down, even in this same passage, we can see uh, in verse 17, uh, it says, and, 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 there, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Another version might say cancer. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus. And so here he's mentioning two folks who, in verse 18, says that men who have gone astray from the truth. These are people that, that the Apostle Paul was pouring into. I mean, think about it. This is the Apostle Paul. You think that if he would just, if he, when he talks to somebody, bam, they're saved and they're ready to go. 
Jesus even had a Judas. But that doesn't deter us from truly taking the time and the risk to disciple. Someone said, that's just too costly. It's too difficult. It's too tedious. I don't have time for that. I don't believe that we understand that the necessity of discipleship. I mean, when I look at the world that we live in today and I, I recognize the chaos that we're in, the chaos is because we have watered down the Christian faith so much that we do not disciple people like we should disciple people. We don't take the time. I mean, I'm not saying this in a condemning way, but if I was to ask you, who are you specifically discipling at this moment? Who in particularly do you have that you meet with every single week so that you can pour into them and you can mutually grow together that you are investing in so that they can truly be the man and woman of God that you've called them to be? Because that's what discipleship is. It's not just preaching a message from a pulpit. It's not just a, a high five and a pass by. It's not just a lunch. But it's a time that you set aside and say, every week, or I'm, I'm going to be intentional, I'm going to set aside a specific time to meet with this person because I want them to know the truth. I want them to grow. I want to invest in them. I want to see their life transformed. I believe that they are a man, a woman of God, and there's a, a, a masterpiece on the inside that God is just wanting to chip away the things around so that they can be what God's called them to be. Amen. I mean, I, I think of Acts chapter 9 and think of Saul who was one very zealous for the Jewish faith, who was going out and persecuting. And in Acts chapter 9, we find that he had received letters to actually go and take Christians captive to bring them back to Rome to be persecuted. This is the Apostle Paul. And, and Saul, as he was on his way to Damascus, you know the story, was hit with a great light. And, and, and in this great light, the, the Lord specifically spoke to him, Paul, Paul, why are, you, why are you doing this? Right? Yes, Lord. But you know, just because Paul had an experience with Jesus doesn't make everybody else believe that he had an experience with Jesus. Right? Paul goes to Damascus and he, he shudders himself in for three days. He, he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink. He's blinded, and, and lo, the Lord spoke to Ananias, and Ananias, uh, you know, here's a disciple of the Lord, and, and Ananias like, wait a minute, Lord, that's the guy that was persecuting us. Lord, wait a minute, that's the one that, that was, has letters to come and take us into captivity to, to, to persecute us, to kill us. Wait a minute, I, I don't know if I want to go to that guy. I mean, know that when the Lord defines who we are to disciple, it's not up to us to say yes or no. It's a yes and amen. <laughs> and so Ananias went and he went in and prayed for him. And he, 
He received this word of truth, and, and, and immediately, I mean, literally, I mean, here's the, here, here's the Saul who's now out on the streets, and everybody's afraid of him. He's walking in the synagogues. They're thinking, he's tricking us, ain't he? Come on. He's up in here trying to just trick us. He's, he's going he's gonna to tie us up. He's going to have the, the SWAT team on the outside, and as soon as we raise our hands saying, you know, yeah, we believe, boom, he's going to come in. They're scared to death. It got so bad in the city that the Jews wanted to kill the Apostle Paul. And so he had gathered a few disciples. Listen to this. This is the Apostle Paul, right? This is Saul who just has been transformed. I'm talking like just transformed. And the Bible says that his disciples, bro, he didn't waste no time. His disciples take him, put him in a big basket and let him down on the outside. I mean, he's went from persecuting Christians to a moment of faith, and now within just a matter of weeks, he's already got disciples that he is pouring into the truth, telling them that Jesus Christ is real. I mean, he's raised from the dead. He's alive. I saw him. That's what he, hey, I saw him. Then he goes to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the people, the disciples, all of them are like, wait a minute. I don't trust this guy. But there was one disciple, Barnabas, who was willing to take a risk, who's willing to say, you know what? Some, something's true. Something's real. Something's changed. And, and, he, and he went to Saul and he took him to the disciples. Guys, we've got to be t- willing to take a risk on some people. We've got to be willing to, to love somebody. They may have come broken. And guess what? If they come broken, you're going to have to deal with broken stuff. You're going to have to deal with some pains. You're, you're going to have growing pains. How many has got teenagers? Growing pains, Right? You're going to have to deal with the, the, the things that young people go through as they grow in faith. They, they're going to experience tough times. They're going to experience setbacks. They're going to experience moments where you just want to pull your hair out. Why did you do that? Why did you say that? You're going to have to maybe even go and clean up some messes because of them. Right? Right? But let me tell you, it's a risk worth taking. You know, my dad, man, the messes that I made. Now, I'm not telling you that he didn't hold me accountable. I mean, look, I went down in the woods with a few of my friends and found this old barn. It looked like it was, it looked like it was falling apart. So me and my friends decided that we'd help it fall apart. And we got inside, and we was kicking boards out. We were, we were having a heyday all afternoon. Man, we just about dismantled this old barn. I get home, and my dad's got the belt out. I'm like, what have I done? I've just been ha- hanging out with my buddies. We've been having a good time. He said, I received a call. 
I ain't been nowhere, so I'm thinking, well, what about? I, I, I finally hadn't done anything wrong. I mean, I deserved all the other ones. He said, uh, that barn was somebody's hay barn. I'm like, you mean that thing was worth something? <laughs> I learned how to hammer <laughs> in some really tough, hard wood. As we nailed all those boards back on. It was rough. I remember none of y'all were hotheads like me. I was a hothead. I remember my first little truck and this guy running his mouth at work. I was mad, dude. Well, I just backed up to the back side of the car in the gravel parking lot and I let it have it. That's what I thought at first. Till I got home. My dad was good with that belt. I made him a perfectionist. <laughs> that paint job cost me an arm and a leg, dude. Yeah, I'd probably be a millionaire today if I if I'd have saved all the money that I wasted on trying to mess other people's stuff up. <laughs> What I'm saying is, is that my dad loved me enough to invest in me, to care for me. He could have given up. I was just a stepchild, right? I'm just that kid that come along with the package, <laughs> the package deal, right? But he, but he never gave up on me. He still loved me. And yesterday as I was sitting there with breakfast and him and one of his 92-year-old friends sitting across from him, and they're talking, they're telling stories, and, and he looks over and says, yeah, this is, this is my son. I said, my son. I'm his son. Come on. I have all the crazy things that I've done, and I'm really just his stepson, but he didn't say stepson. He said, that's my son. Man, I don't know if I deserve the love and patience and kindness that guy's put into me. But man, thank God he loved me. Discipleship is the same way. You're going you're to have some moments. Hope you don't have those kind of moments. But you're going to have moments that you've got to be willing to forgive. You've got to be willing to love them through it. They might even do things to hurt you. How many know a wounded dog bites? And when you're loving someone, they might bite you every once in a while. They might have a bad moment. And, and, and when you're willing to love them enough to recognize that you are on the same team, you are helping them transist, you are helping show them how, the, the game plan, if you will, and you're showing them how to do this, they might run a wrong route. But guess what? That doesn't mean you throw them off the team. It means you get a little closer and say, you know what, man, I don't know if I communicated that correctly, but you were supposed to go that way, not that way. This journey of discipleship is difficult. The Apostle Paul even told Timothy just in the scripture before, in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 13, it says, Retain the standard of sound words which, I have, which you have heard from me in the faith and love 
which are in Christ Jesus. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 14 it says, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure. Come on, say the word treasure. Treasure which has been entrusted to you. Paul even told the, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, follow me as I follow Christ. The, the best way, I mean, look, a part of discipleship is recognizing that you're going to mess up sometimes. A part of discipleship is saying, you know what? Look, I want you to imitate me. I want you to, hey, I'm going to do it this way. How many of you ever been to dance class? Some of y'all, Church of God, afraid to tell anybody. <laughs> I, I, back in the old days, I used to break dance. Now I broke dance. You know what I'm talking about. The thing is, is that they want you to imitate them, right? Follow my feet. No, I can't dance. You'll forget that. We want people to imitate us. But are we living an example life for that people can imitate? Are we living in such a way that they, they find in us something that will give them the courage and strength to live this out? Because if we are to be disciples and we recognize it's a, it's a journey, it's difficult, it's tedious, it, it, it will cost you something, it's an investment. But in the process of that investment, in the process of this, we have to be a disciple. Because you can only make what you are. Amen. And if you're not living out being a disciple, then others can't be a disciple too. We have to live out being a disciple. So the, que the other question is, who's pouring into you? Who is... Who's the mentor? Who's the one discipling? Who's the one that, that's investing in you? Who's the one that's equipping and training and, and uh, uh, getting you ready so that you can pour into somebody else? Amen. Amen. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's an investment. I'm going to close. Somebody's pot's burning. My, my dad owned a business for most of my life. He, um, he owned Anderson Steel Processing. And, and I remember, I mean, I've got the scars to prove that I did something there. I was four years old when that happened, riding on a forklift. And, and I was, as I was riding on the forklift with him, he was picking up a 10,000-pound coil of steel and the chain that was around the coil broke and came back and crushed my hand. I always told my dad, I said, if it hit my head, I'd been all right. I'm pretty hard-headed. Just kidding. God was gracious. But, you know, my dad, as I grew up, I mean, he, one after another, I'm the youngest of seven by seven years, he tried to equip my brother to run the plan. He tried to equip my other, my other siblings to to who was interested to run the plant. He, he wanted to pass that baby off to somebody. And guess what? I was the last one. <laughs> I remember spending hours. He didn't start me off in the office 
you know, at the, in the prestigious job, he started me off sweeping the floor. Now, this was an old train depot. It was an old place where they would pull the trains in and they would work on the trains, so it was already greasy to the max. And, and there was two stories like, like this with big cranes in it that would run down the track. And, and, and I remember shimming up the pole when the track would come off and having to take a, a chain dolly and pull it up to, and let them down, down the bottom. The OSHA wouldn't approve of these, these, these days. And, and somebody would be down on the bottom and they hit the button so that it would jerk back on track while I'm on top of it. My mom, Lord, I know she's got all those gray hairs because of me. But I started out cleaning. Washing, you know, trying to clean the floors. I remember I told you about my welding experience. And, and he says, I want you to weld uh, metal all the way down from one end to the other. I'm like, Lord have mercy. He invested in me. I didn't see it as that. I didn't, I didn't like it. I mean, here's these other guys. They're running machines, and, you know, and, and I'm sweeping floors. I'm cleaning the bathrooms. And let me tell you, that was a nasty job. Remember, one of the guys got hurt. And to bring him back on into the plant, he, he started working with him slowly. It was, it was Perry. His name was Perry. See, he said, Mr. Paul, he said, you're going to work with me. I'm like, that's good. So I would work with him in the evenings. And he would run the machine, and, and they had the, the scrap wheel. They had the big coils, and they had the little scrap that come off the side. And I'd sit there, and I'd, push, I'd just push that scrap back and forth as it would wrap around that thing. And, and once it filled up the scrap bin, I, I, would, I would cut it and had to take the crane, take that. And I thought, man, this is, I'm tough stuff, dude. I'm like, I'm running a machine. Even though it was a scrap machine, I'm running a machine. I only messed it up a few times. But anyway, eventually my dad taught me how to, how to do the blades and use the shims. And he taught me all the inworkings. And, and I remember the last, one of the last jobs before he kind of handed me the keys. He said, I've got a sales, I got a sales thing that I need you to go to. I need you to sell them this product. I'm like, yes. I'm gonna suit and tie it, baby. We got this. What a high honor to be able to go and represent my dad, his business, to be that representative. I'm 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 to official. You know how old I was? 16. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? For my birthday that year, my dad gave me a card and it had Cincinnati quarter by 12 sheer. Man, to somebody that like, that's work, dude. But to me, it was the highest honor my dad could pay me. He says, I'm buying you a machine to start you on your own business. You're ready. Now, I can go into all the story to tell you how disappointed he was when the Lord told me to go to the ministry. <laughs> that was difficult. 
But you know, what a feeling it is to be able to disciple someone, to invest in them, to pour into their life, and then come back and tell you, man, I was at the, the quick stop today, and this guy was struggling, and I just felt the Holy Spirit tell me to just give him a word. And they share that word, and, like, and, and I got to pray with them. And they got saved. Woo! And in your mind, you're thinking, you're not ready for that. You're half crazy as it is. But to see those that you're pouring into make an impact, those that you're sharing with, those that you're loving on, those that you're investing in, truly become the disciples that you want them to be. Look, they're going to mess it up. Peter messed it up. The disciples didn't get it right all the time. The disciples, even when it was coming time to feed everybody and and they looked around and said, Lord, there's not enough food here. Send them away. And Jesus said, wait a minute, what do we have? Stop a minute. Well, we've got a couple of loaves and some fishes. And Jesus looked at them and said, you feed them. Look, we're not going to get it all right. The people that we pour into is not going to get it right. We're not going to get it right all the time. But are we willing to become the disciples and be the discipler that God's called us to be. You want to transform your community? You want to see this church be what God's called it to be? Then we have to begin investing in the people that God sends us, especially the people God sends us. But we also have to be willing to disciple those that God sends us outside these walls. Because it is then that we build the relationships that transforms this church. You want, you want people your age in this church? We'll disciple people your age. Well, that's a good place to say amen. Because we have to be willing to reach out. I think too many times we're waiting on people just to come in. But if you are called to be a discipler of men and women, then you've got to fulfill that role. And according to the word that I've been given, that's our calling. It's you and I. We can point the fingers at everybody else. This world's going to hell in a handbasket. Ain't nobody's fault but ours. Because if we're, not doing the, if we're not discipling people, I mean, why would we expect the world to be anything different than crazy? Romans chapter 8 tells us that, that they can't follow the Spirit because the flesh doesn't even understand what that means. So unless they have a spiritual awakening, which, and that's what God's called us to be, the spiritual awakening to the world, then we can't expect them to do anything different. It's time for us to be the light of the world to this world. It's time for us to carry this book to show them that there's a better way. It's time for us to disciple people, to invest. There's a statistic, and, I, and I'm going to close with this. I'm sorry. Because I thought it was really cool. 
Jesus spent time discipling, if we just say 10 people, if we can effectively disciple 10 people every three years, and those 10 persons will each disciple 10 others every three years, and each one that discipled over that three-year period will disciple 10 others every three years. In six years, think about this, in six years, you will have discipled 110 teachers. Well, let's expound on that. That's six years, 110. In nine years, that equals 11,220 people. In 12 years, that equals 123,540 people. In 15 years, it would swell to 1,358,940 people that you impacted. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Three more years, 18 or 18 total years, that would be 15,083,221 people in just 21 years. In just 21 years, you would have, listen to this, 21 years, 21 years. Somebody says, well, I don't know if I have 21 years left. Come on, let's make a start at it, right? In 21 years, young people, listen to this. In 21 years, if you'll disciple 10 people for three years that will go out and do the same, you will have reached 167 million people, 409,240 will have been discipled because of you. You know, in the time of Jesus, there were estimated 200 million people. You can imagine how that spread and no wonder it impacted the world because they were discipling. We have to begin to do what Jesus has told us to do. We can go hide under a shell and say, I'm waiting on Jesus to come back. It's getting bad. Or we can stick our head out of the sand and say we are the righteous, we are the righteousness of God. We're the people of God. And we're called to this hour. We are, we are living in this time not to go and hide from all the chaos of the world, but we're living this time to be the people of God to a generation who needs Jesus now more than ever. And we need to stand up and be the bold, righteous people of God in this world today. Come on, somebody. Amen. It's easy to say, well, where do I start? Man, you got to start at home. You got to start with the kids that God's given you your home. What's next? Who do you see every day? What's your sphere of influence? Well, I go to work every day. Yes, those boneheads need Jesus too. Yeah. Well, I go to the grocery store. That same person's at that desk every time I pass by. Do they know you're a Christian? Do they know that you love Jesus? Look, the sphere is full of people that we can see. It's time for us to engage. It's time for us to encourage. It's time for us to get in the battle for our Lord. Amen?
You say, Pastor, that scares the living bejesus out of me. I don't know if I can do that. It's all right. We all have our scary moments. Don't try to, maybe don't start with 10. Start with one. Start with one. I'm sure there's one person that you can transform, that you can see God use you to help transform. Come on. What I want to see is, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to identify one person that you can disciple? Are you willing to ask God to show you, to identify, to lead to you, or you lead, be led to one person that you can disciple? If you'd say, yes, Pastor, I want to do that, would you raise your hand right now? Pastor, I want to disciple somebody. Amen. Amen. Would you stand on your feet with me right now? Lord, I, I thankful God. Lord, for great examples to be able to, to imitate. I'm thankful for an awesome dad. I'm thankful for a mentor and brother Leon Goforth who, who invested in me, who in all of my frustrated moments, I'm sure, cared enough to pour into me and love me. And Lord, these are still men who I call, who I look to for wisdom, who I glean from. And I pray, God, that as I'm gleaning from them and as I'm searching your truths and your word, God, help me also to identify somebody that I can pour into, somebody that I can invest in, somebody that's willing and wanting to experience God, somebody who's willing to, to say, I need Jesus, but I need somebody to show me the way. God, help us to be the people of God that you've called us to be. We can come and we can play the church game and do what everybody else does, but Lord, where the rubber meets the road is when we leave this building, God, who are we going to identify? Who are we going to invest in? Who are we going to, to show that same love that you showed us? God, use us in this moment. Make us disciples. And Lord, make us fruitful. And let us abide in you and obey your words and live it out every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Kathy, come here for a minute. I want to, as I'm closing in prayer, I want to pray for Kathy and her family. Someone else, if you have a family, somebody come and stand in for Sherry. Sherry Houck is sick as well. Stephanie, would you come and stand in for her? Who else? The Giles family. Would you come and stand in for the Giles family? You're going to stand in for your wife, ain't you? Yes, sir. Standing in for my son-in-law. Undergoing some abdominal surgery. Standing, standing in for our son-in-law going into abdominal surgery February the 4th. Come on, somebody stand in for one of the loneliest peoples. 
Come on up, Marvin. Oh, wow. Pray for her family. She had a nephew who committed suicide. God touched Pat's family. Come on up here, buddy. Anyone else? Would you just stretch your hand this way? How many know that God is a healer? Father, I thank you, Jesus. Lord, for every need that is represented right here. God, I'm thankful that you are, Lord, the strength of our our shield. God, you are the light. You are the, the very present help in the time of trouble. And I pray, Jesus, for healing in this body. God, thank you, Lord, for the Lozier family. God, touch their body. Renew her strength. Renew Kathy, God, and anoint her, Father. Touch this nephew, Jesus. Lord, we're believing that you are a a miracle worker. And God, you are able to step in in the midst of this, this surgery, God. Guide the hands of doctors. Lord, let there be miraculous moments, even right now, Jesus. God, I pray for family members who need a touch from Jesus. And I pray your healing to be upon them, God. Your hope to shine through in their dark hour, knowing that you are there with them, even right now, God. Lord, touch and strengthen and encourage Jesus. God, I pray for Sherry, Lord, that you'll bring healing in her body and renewing, Father. God, I pray for a niece as well, Lord, that needs a touch from Jesus. Heal her, God. Lord, let this tumor be gone in Jesus' name. Lord, we rebuke cancer off of her body. We know that you are you are life and you are hope and in Jesus' name, rise up in this family, God. Father, I thank you, Jesus, for the Giles family and I pray for healing in them, Lord. I, I pray you'll just touch their lungs and Lord, let them be made whole, God. Let bronchitis be gone in Jesus' name. Renew their strength. Thank you, God. Lord, bring hope to a family that feels hopeless. Bring light into a family that has only seen darkness. Lord, I pray, God, that you will open the eyes of this family. Let them know that you are the only way, the truth, and the life, God. And in you, Jesus, they can find peace. They can find comfort. They can find wholeness, Lord. We believe that in Jesus' name. God, I pray for the loneless family, God, that you'll protect them and guard them. Lord, bring healing, Lord, in her body and renew her strength, Jesus. Thank you, God that you are the author and finisher of our faith, God, that you are still writing our story. And Lord, even right now, you are writing out some great things because we are your children submitted to you for your purpose. God, be glorified. Be glorified. Be glorified. Father, may, as we leave this place, Lord, Lord, may we be a blessing. And Lord, may we be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love on somebody. Let them know you're happy to see them. Remember tonight, we're going to have an awesome service as well. Come out and join us. You won't want to miss Sister Becky Milligan. She's going to bless your heart.